Thunder Media. Today on Inside Supercars, we look to solve the question why Trans Am can't be the next generation of supercars. As Andrew Clark and Ash Say would join us on the show to provide their point of view. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting one when you talk about it. Like, we, we are talking about the premium category in the country, and I think that um, it's got to have an engineering component to it. I reckon it should be an open grid. If I can present a Gen 3 car and it's fast enough to qualify, we should be allowed to come and race. That's all coming up today on Inside Supercars, and it starts now. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we're joined by a couple of people from different sides of the equation, but both deep involved in motorsport for some years. First of all, we've got uh, Ash Seward, who is an entrant, and the reason we're talking to him today is because he runs a Trans Am car. Now, he's on Formula Fords and Carrera Cup for many years, as well as TCR, and uh, we're talking to him specifically today about uh, Trans Am, Trans Am and TA2. So welcome on board, Ash Seward. G'day guys, thanks for having me on. Okay, joining us in this quartet is Andrew Clark. Andrew has been involved in motorsport as a journalist, as a publisher, an editor, uh, currently uh, working with Auto Action, and of course uh, a publisher of uh, a good number of biographies, as well as Bathurst books. So, Andrew, welcome back to Inside Supercars. Thanks, Tony. It, uh, I do spew out a lot of words at times, so uh, podcasting's quite good for me, isn't it? <laughs> we'll try and capture them all as they come past. Now, what we're wanting to talk to you guys today about, and because you're different sides of the equation, as in the media and an interest, is the idea of TA2, Trans Am, um, and at the other end of the equation is what supercars are bringing out very soon, they've already had it on track lots of times, is Gen 3. Now, first of all, Ash, maybe you could tell us about your experience with running PA2 or Turtle Wax uh, Trans Am. Um, yeah, like this year, obviously, we got involved in the category uh, with Brett Holdsworth, uh, Lee's, Lee's better brother. Um, and, um, you know, we've just just had such a good experience with the category from lots of different aspects, um, you know, um, the, the tyre, the brakes, the running costs of the cars are just, you know, affordable um, in motorsport terms relative to other forms of touring car racing that, that we've got in the country. So, um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things that, that we're enjoying and loving about the category. The racing's awesome. It, it's close, but the, the cost of it is um, really, really, more, you know, um, competitive in the market that we're um, competing in. The cars are a, a tubular chassis designed by Howe in the United States and 
it's a very, very controlled class, isn't it, Ash, where there's a part number and that's the part you can run, which is right from the chassis to the running gear and engine. Um, yeah, 100%. You know, we've just got a PDF. Um, any component that we need for the car, you just part number. Um, I'm very used to this um, this model of motorsport, i.e. from from Porsche racing and, and so on. You know, it's it, it just it cuts the cost everywhere, guys, because you don't have to employ so many people, i.e. storemen, um, fabrication departments. It, it just cuts the costs down in lots of different areas of, of motor racing, you know. That's why, you know, we need a part with going down to the truck. It's, it's just a no-brainer for us. Andrew, one of the things that has, I suppose, not continued to astound me but continues to sort of amaze me is the constant sort of rumours I hear about the cost of Gen 3 and the ongoing escalation of those costs. Uh, I mean, I'm sure being as close as you are to it that you're hearing the same sort of thing. Well, I'm sort of hearing that as well, but I'm also talking to people who are giving me slightly different numbers as well. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be anywhere from about 500 to 800,000, depending on who you believe, to build one of these cars, which probably knocks Ash back on his um, seat a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, which it, it's kind of is, it's the premium category in the country. So it's not really that out of out of kilter in a sense, um, it, depending on whether you, the whole philosophy on life is, you know, cutting costs or whether it's building a spectacle. But, you know, I think, you know, if you're a doubter and you're a negative person, you're going to say it's the 800. If you're an optimist, you're going to be saying uh, 500, aren't you? But the critical thing is supercars have decided to go down the very controlled component design and it is very, very locked down on what teams are going to be able to do. It's unclear whether they're going to make the savings through personnel and they're certainly not going to have the opportunity like we've seen with the Trans Am to be able to just have that picking list and bang, it's all there immediately because there's still going to be differences across the board. Yeah, there is. And there's the ability to either buy off the shelf or manufacture yourself. Um, so, you know, I think there'll be um, artist drawing or CAD drawings for certain components and you can decide to build it yourself or you can go to a supplier and buy it. So, you know, you could go to a DJR or a AAA or a Tickford or whatever and buy, you know, a front suspension upright or you can manufacture it yourself. So that's possibly where some of the cost variations are going to appear. Uh, I do find it quite strange, you know, that we're going down this, this controlled component pathway, yet we're not controlling the costs at the same time in a sense. You know, I would have thought the whole reason for doing that was to keep the costs absolutely rock bottom. You know, and looking at the Trans Am website in the States, for instance, you know, I can go in there and it's all controlled. A shock absorber cost me $925 US dollars. Brake calibers are 550, brake pads 250 per axle line, you know, wheels are 175, etc. So, you know, they've gone down that path where it's, you know, it's all really cost controlled. And so if you're not making it an engineering based category, you know, does it need to be as complex as it is would be my question. Ash, let's just talk about the repairability of the cars. Now, you know, we know that Trans Am, by its very nature, is a racing's rubbing and all those sort of things. The cars, you know, come back from, you know, most race weekends with some, some rubbing on them. It's mostly controllable, the, the way in which you repair them? Um, yeah, like, you know, on average, like, all the panels on them are fiberglass. So, therefore, if the panel isn't retrievable from repairing locally ourselves, you know, we just buy a new panel. But at the same time, you know, um, we've come back and 
would have only had to buy one rear um, clip for the Camaro in and, you know, we've, we've repaired it to a point that you'd use it as a spare, but it's just on the, on the heavy side of it. But, you know, 99% of the time we come back and we just repair everything in-house. Ash, when you look at all the series that you've run in, how does this compare to other controlled series? For example, you've been in the TCR. That's an engineering category. Can you compare those two types of touring cars? Um. Like for me, TCR relative to Trans Am. So obviously the, the, the cost varies in, in purchasing the car. So we're talking about a Trans Am car that's 165000 uh, Australian dollars at the moment plus duty and freight. Um, you're talking about a TCR touring car that's built to a budget of quarter of a million dollars. So, you know, and then you're talking about a Carrera Cup car that's 450000 So for me, I've got this sort of, you know, pyramid of, of different forms of motorsport and they're all relative within themselves because of the, the the end cost of the car so if we were talking about the trans am to tcr the trans am for the for the value of it and what we pay for the cars is 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 built you know at a high level for the componentry that's on it so it, it just for me it just it's it's so affordable relative to TCR and then to Carrera Cup because of the, the, the construction and how they've gone about it. And what about your view of the raceability of the car and the way the TCR show on track is? Because you're you're looking at the, the three formulas and you're probably seeing a big disparity on numbers of passes per race. You know, like currently Trans Am, you know, the, the, I reckon the racing's fantastic. Um, there's a good depth of young guys, middle-aged chaps in different parts of the journey, and, and the racing's great. Like, you know, we've we've qualified with Brett eighth and raced to fourth and to third, and and I think the racing's great. You've got a lot of young up-and-coming drivers there in that category, and then you go to TCR and the, and the balance of performance and the weight based um, BOP on qualifying really determines how how the racing's going to be, you know. So the formulas are a bit different, but I still like both formulas of the racing. Like there's always plenty of racing, like Tassie round one for us with Michael. We had a, a, a power steering issue. We qualified last and we raced to ninth and eighth um, over the first two races of the weekend. So, you know, the racing's a bit different, but still, for me, the Trans Am—it's it, just—it's just a good cost entry level of touring car type racing for me. It's probably what we're talking about, um, Andrew. That uh, bang for buck, as they say in the classics. You know, the, the you know, okay, our premium category. We don't want to dumb them down. Surely there must have been a point somewhere between TA2 and Trans Am and Supercars Gen 3. There, there must be a point in between where, you know, I mean, the difference you talk about the cost of a wheel, you know, they're $1,100 of the new category and they're going with Gen 3 and they're going to a new wheel. Eight sets, eight sets is 80 grand. You know, it was just extraordinary amount. When, what was wrong with the old wheel? Well, okay, we're new brakes, new, you know, but it just seems to be spiralling. 
So we are talking about you know, an engineering category. We're talking about the top category in the country where we want to get some, you know, some bright talent inside the garages and doing all that sort of stuff. So there's got to be some sort of technical challenge to what you're doing there. Uh, and also remember that you know, while people like Ash are critical to motorsport, they're not critical to supercars. You know, we're not trying to attract an Ash Sayward Motorsport into supercars because it's a closed shop. You know, we've already got the people locked away. So the question is not about you know what does it cost to get in and what is the, what's the cost of entry. It's can we make money as a race team out of what we've been given. And I think, you know, that's where it comes down to it is. So do we put on an impressive show? Um, how do we get the thing going? And, and you could argue at the moment that, you know, supercars is kind of missing the mark in many ways. I mean, it's a pretty one-sided dominated sport today. Um, but, you know, if we do this thing next year and we go back to these brand new cars, etc., you know, do we even the shop? You know, do we make the show better? Um, have we made it easier for people to catch Triple Eight um, or have we made it harder? Um, and that's the only test that we need to go into into court with here. Do we make money? You know, short answer is if you can't get two million bucks to run one of these cars, then you probably shouldn't be in the main game to start with. Um, and then your second one is, you know, can we actually get the racing better? We had uh, Shane Howard on the show last week. And Ash, one of the things he talked about was being able to bring up young drivers and bring up young teams. Is the financial jump to supercars something that just doesn't make it attractive for teams like yours to transition? You know, it's it, good question. But like for me, like I'm a big fan of NASCAR racing and at the end of the day, I've been in motorsport in Australia myself and I got to a point at the end of 1999, my next step in my career was, you know, what do I do next after Formula Ford? We had nothing then. Like Conica was the next thing, but that crashed and burned. Go straight to main game. Like for me, why you know? For me, I reckon it should be an open grid. If I can present a Gen Three car and it's fast enough to qualify, we should be allowed to come and race. That's my view of it. There's lots of businesses like myself with probably the same attitude that could comfortably run a supercar team, no dramas. But the cost aspect of it is is what just turns you away. You got to have a license. You got to have this. You got to do this. Well. You know, that just turns people away in motorsport for me because, like, at the end of the day, you can just turn up with a checkbook and buy yourself a drive these days to get in the main game. So, you know, there's there's probably some good things there to come out of what I said. And moving up is another thing, Andrew, that's becoming difficult because we're down to 25 cars in the supercar series, which means that... Professional race drivers want to be earning that paycheck for as long as they can possibly bring in the revenue to the teams to keep them there. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, it is an issue. I'm, I remember, you know, supercars back you know, 20 years ago when we were having pre-qualifying. We had, you know, 35 cars trying to get onto the grid, uh, and it was really quite exciting to have that battle going on. And ultimately, you know, that's kind of where we, I think, we should be trying to get this sport to. In that, you know, we we do have that fight and that you know maybe an Ash Sayward decides you know oh, I wouldn't mind having a crack at that and yeah I can afford to get on the grid um, but at the moment it's not that case you know we, we are locked in at 25 we may one day go to 26 but we're not really going to go to any more than that because not a lot of the um, pit lanes can actually cope with a full grid of bigger than that um, and you know you would end up saying oh well we're going to have 26 cars here and we can have 30 cars there etc which is obviously why the wild card rules are the way they are and that you know you can only run at certain places because they've got the garage space 
So yeah, we do have that closed shop. Um, question, you know, whether or not it's um, it's good for the sport, but, you know, it kind of is what it is and we're not going to change it, so we've got to work around that. So, you know, cutting the cost of the cars to me, you know, it's a good thing if we can do it, so long as we are creating the spectacle that we want to create. Just for comparison's sake, how wide is a Trans Am car? Um, <laughs> they're bloody wide. They struggle to get in a touring car transporter. So, um, you know, um, between the rams, um, they're, they're awfully tight. We had to modify our rams on our truck to get our Trans Am car in. So majority of everyone knows how wide a supercar transporter is. So, you know, um, the, the cars are awfully wide. It, 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 it's, it's just something we all like to deal with. Because, uh, Andrew, I'm fascinated by the supercars going wider. And this is a, a huge problem in Speedway is the tracks were built at a, at a certain point in history. And as the speedway cars have got wider, the lanes on the track have got smaller and it makes passing even harder. So I find it interesting. Trans Am's quite a wide car, but they still seem to be able to pass. Gen 3 is going to go wider and we're hoping that wider, less downforce and different engines are going to produce more passing. Well, I think definitely the biggest factor for me is the reduction in the aero because it means that people are going to be able to follow a little bit. And, you know, certainly having a chat with Craig Lowndes, et cetera, out of the, out of the recent test at Sandown, you know, the cars slide a lot more, so they're going to wear their tyres out, so we're going to get that variation. Because um, the problem with a parity-based formula is that all the cars are identical, which means that theoretically they can all do the same thing at the same time. So you don't have that variation we had, say, in the Group A days where, you know, a Commodore made its lap time differently to a Sierra, which was different to an M3. So, you know, you had a lot of overtaking then because of the differences. So we now we've got a cars that, you know, theoretically generate their, their times exactly the same way. So you've got to bring variation in, which is coming from, you know, whether it's brake wear or whether it's overheating or whether it's tyre wear. So the you know, that's going to be the only factor that gives us better racing is that variation that comes in because somebody's a bit too brutal on the right foot or a, you know, a bit too gentle on the left foot, etc. You know, so that's kind of what we're looking for. But as you say, you know, wider cars on some of our tracks aren't really going to be that great, is it? I mean, Phillip Island's only narrow, but we don't race there. Winton's narrow. You know, we've got a few narrow tracks that we've got to negotiate our way around. Ash, with the TA2s, there are three homologated cars. TCR has a lot of homologated cars, but you mentioned the balance of performance. Is there a significant difference between all three makes of cars in your eyes? You know, like we're, we're the leading um, Camaro, so the rest of the, the rest of the field's pretty much uh, Mustangs. But um, like for me, there may be a little bit of difference in, in aero, but like at the end of the day we've got these three different shaped cars and and it's just up to the team and the driver to get the most out of the chassis and spring and damp package that you get given from Howe and and um it's up uh, up to the group to to do that so yeah i don't you know i don't see anything different in 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 the three shapes of cars so, so on a race weekend ash how many people do you have working on the car with you so you know engineering uh, three three so i have a uh, uh, robbie Palumo. Supercar engineer, and then I have um, a, a lead mechanic that used to be at SPR, Matty Black, and then another chap. Um, so basically, okay. we have two two guys in the car and an engineer, and then um, obviously we have a team manager that, that oversees um, TCR and Trans Am. So like from a wage bill, it's 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 um, you know very minimal. And what sort of variability is there in the car? I mean, what what can you change on a race weekend and, and to try and get the performance better? 
Um, so obviously we've got um, the, the, the rear end and the cars are a three-link three link rear end with a watts link. So you've got a reasonable amount of adjustment in the rear end there. You've got um, damper, um, bump and rebound and springs, uh, ride height and camber. So, um, you know, in the front end, the rear end's fixed on tow and camber. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's enough to get yourself lost, but also it's um, you can just go back to a base house set up sheet and you're pretty close to being on the money and i guess that's one of the things that all the talk about making the cars cheaper you have to take something out and in a lot of ways andrew that's variability of engineering components which automatically results in them being dumbed down in inverted commas yeah, and it is say it's a challenge. Is that you know do we want to be purely a driving formula where only the driver makes the difference, or do we need the engineers? And I think it'd be sad for Australian motorsport if we didn't have somewhere for our top engineers to go that they had to go overseas instead of staying here. And uh, you know, so I think you've got to keep that factor in mind. Um, and as you say, you know, the the less variability you give it, you know, theoretically the cheaper it gets. But, you know, it's all about the manufacture of the components. I mean, you know, what materials are we using for the bodywork? What materials are we using for this and that, etc.? You know, I know, for instance, you know, a bare chassis costs about 40 grand of the new cars, um, you know, whereas the, the old one was a bit more expensive and say, a, you know, a Porsche is uh, 50,000 euros for the same component, component. So, you know, we know that certain parts can be built cheaper but, you know, once we allow people to start manufacturing their own bits instead of going to the shelf to buy them, um, that's when the cost can, cost can get out of control. And the one thing that we do know from supercars experience is that uh, when engineers have taken off overseas, that, you know, like Jer- Jeremy Moore, Barry Kappa and a good number of others have all gone on that international trip and been very successful. So that's certainly something you're very right, Andrew, in saying that we don't want to strip it down and dumb the cars down to the point where they don't have an engineer component in there. Sorry, the fans don't care so much about the engineers, they care about the drivers, but I think the engineers are important for the industry and I think we can't just ignore what we generate out of that. And uh, as you say, you know, if we didn't have a James Small over in NASCAR and we didn't have people all over the place, you know, have we failed what we're doing as a, as a motor racing category? Ash, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, someone like Rob Paloma, who I know, of course, through supercars, he does bring something to the table that uh, otherwise you wouldn't have had if he hadn't had that supercars experience. You know, like like for us, like Robbie and I got a good relationship. You know, um, he's got a he's got a, a shop business just around the corner from us and in Dandenong. And then obviously Robbie does uh, engineering with us in, in Carrera Cup and Trans Am. So, I know he he's done Super 2 main game. Um, he's really thoroughly enjoying Trans Am slash TA2 racing. He, he's loving it. It's, he's just got a real buzz about it. Ash, you race effectively three 20-minute races in, on the weekend, which is back in the uh, 60s, 70s and early 80s was the, the uh, touring car model. Would these cars be able, when you hear people say, oh, they should have gone TA to the Trans Am formula, would these cars have been able to handle 250 kilometres, 500 kilometres and 1,000 kilometres? Like, like for me, the, the, the chassis already come with air jack mounts in them. So like for me, the, these cars could comfortably comfortably do 250k races, no problem at all. Um, you know, they just obviously need air jacks fitting, fitting to them. As I said, the mounts are already in the cars. Um, and you just have to upgrade the, the, the pad package, um, no dramas at all. 
And Andrew, what's your take when you hear people saying, oh, they should have gone to Trans Am? Um, well, it wouldn't be our um, premium category anymore, would it? We'd just be an offshoot of a um, of a second or third tier American category. So, you know, I think we needed to develop our own thing. Um, you know, you can question some of the decisions that have been made or what direction they're heading in certain parts of it, but I think it's important as our own premium category that it is our that it is our category. Gentlemen, one of the things, of course, we all experienced times when we had three categories where we didn't have control, chassis, tyres, shocks, everything, and we all enjoyed that time, clearly because of costs that things have to be put in place, so you know they have to try and keep the costs under control. Um, it's certainly given some good food for thought on the way in which they're going. I'm, I'm enthused in some ways by what Gen 3 will offer. I certainly was, when I heard the Craig Lowndes' comments that, he said the cars were like he was driving back in the in the mid nineties. The supercar, as called a V eight, then that uh, it, it's that similar sort of feel to it, and I think that that bodes well for the future of the category and uh, and, and the growth. And obviously, things like TA two and Trans Am can be that category that can feed through to our category. Yeah, to- to- totally agree. Like you know, at the end of the day, for us. TA2 slash Trans Am, it, it's, it's a stepping stone, you know, in, in my business. It gives us options for our clients to race different different forms of um, tin top racing from, you know, Trans Am, TA2 to, um, to TCR to Porsche, you know, and then after that, hopefully one day that we can um, run Gen 3 and it's open grid and if we're fast enough to qualify, um, we'll be there one day, hopefully. Andrew, you were going to say? Yeah, I think that's what I'd like to see is that, you know, I think there's a there's a place for me for TA2 and for supercars to be in the same sort of fraternity, you know, because there's a logical stepping stone. You know, I think the, the simpler the car in terms of the, you know, the mechanical components, et cetera, is where you learn your craft. It's where, you, you know, you learn how to race, et cetera. But in this one here, you know, you're getting to learn some of the engineering, some of the setup tricks that you can do. And then you can take that into a broader sense, whether it's you know the um, you know the these development series or whether it's into the main game. You know you're going to learn things. Um, so I, I think personally that there's a great synergy between them, and that they don't compete. You know I, I don't like hearing this concept that you know you can have one or the other, and we can't put them both on the same grid, etc., or the same race weekend. I think we can um, because I don't think they're going to eat into each other. I think that they build each other, and that there's a you know, they help to grow. And as you say, you know, Ash is talking there, you know, we'd love to be able to, to develop and move into a Gen 3 type situation. Um, and if we can do that out of TA2 and help the, the TA2 and the Gen 3 and the supercars to keep growing, then that's got to be great for the sport, doesn't it? It does indeed. It, it does indeed. And um, Ash um, and Andrew, thank you so much for joining us inside Supercars. Um, I'm enthused and certainly optimistic about a future where We'll have both of these categories racing and uh, who knows, maybe even Adelaide this year, we might see the two on the track at the same time. So best of luck and uh, in all your ventures. Thank you so much for joining us, Ash Seawood and Andrew Clark on Inside Supercars. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. The Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.